Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, The Songs of Ascent. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Concluding the Songs of Ascent, we're looking at Psalm 133. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we are poor and needy and in need of being fed. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth and grant us ears to hear. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In an age of individualism, Christians, well, we would do well to open our Bibles and see. There are no solitary Christians. Persecuted? Yes. Imprisoned? Certainly. Banished? Undoubtedly. Solitary? Never. In fact, walking our way through the New Testament epistles, I am reminded how little is addressed to the individual. The bulk of our New Testament canon is directed to the church, and even epistles that are written to one, for example, Paul's epistle to Timothy, even then it is for the sake of the church, and it is in the context specifically of the local church. Even the Greek word ekklesia, which we translate as church, literally means assembly, and no one assembles alone. Christianity is uniquely corporate. One body together of Christ. One pastor notes, our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. For God never makes private secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true. Intimate, yes. But private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. <laughs> it is no coincidence that our Lord first taught us to pray Together, our Father, who art in heaven. In fact, I love to pray the Lord's Prayer in my own personal daily prayer times because it reminds me of you. 
as if we were praying together, with each other, for each other, throughout the week. Of course, there is no clearer reinforcement of this truth than, well, what we're at right now in our weekly worship together, where we assemble as God's people, enjoying community in Christ. You might seek, well, you might seek alternatives of Christian experience, but you can't call those church or the assembly. You see, Church is a collective term. Church means worshiping together. And not only together, but as a family. We gather in worship as brothers. And in Scripture, think with me, a little more Bible trivia, which we began in our Sunday school class today. We'll carry it on in here. Think with me. When the first two brothers got together to worship the Lord, do you know what happened? Murder. That's what happened. You can't get out of Genesis 4 before two brothers get together to worship the Lord and one kills the other. And as it turns out, dwelling in unity with brothers and sisters, it ain't easy. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) Dwelling together often means arguments, quarrels, squabbles, quickly accelerating even and especially over very important matters. Like the menu for the fellowship lunch printed on the back of your bulletin. Left to our flesh, tertiary matters become secondary matters. And secondary matters become primary matters. And before long, it's the proverbial hill to die on. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not left to our flesh. In Christ, we are not at the mercy of our sin, nor victims of our nature. To claim, well, that's just how I am, is to be ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, in Christ, we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, learning to walk dependently upon the Spirit who indwells us all. Behold, David says, or it could be translated, look. Behold, as if removed to observe and study, we are directed to the beautiful. Look how he begins the psalm with the beautiful. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. If sin contributes to disunity, even murder, then unity, then unity reveals godliness, which is always good. It is always pleasant to behold and to enjoy. That which is good and pleasant is among brothers. It is among brethren. David's reference in this case to his kinsmen. Specifically the nation of Israel. They are brothers. They are sisters. And they are united not only as a nation. But as the Lord's chosen. They are 
set apart to worship God alone as His own. Their brotherhood points back. And it points back beyond their tribes. It points back to Jacob, and then to Esau, and then to Abraham. And so it is not surprising that the Apostle Paul points you and me back as Abraham's offspring. Not for the blood in our veins, but for the blood of the cross of Christ. In Christ, brotherhood is one new man in place of the two. Christ has, Paul says in Ephesians, made us both one. And has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. Our brotherhood then, you see, our brotherhood then transcends bloodlines. Defined as the beloved of God, we are united as one in Christ, regardless of the blood in our veins. To reiterate his point, Paul says that we see this unity all throughout the Christian faith. For example, Paul says we have not two, but one body. Not two, but one spirit. Not two, but one hope. Not two, but one Lord. Not two, but one faith. Not two, but one baptism. Not two, or three, but one God. All that we believe, all that we are as one, we are unified. Testifying to the one who unites us all. And that's why, that's why unity in the church is good and pleasant. Now, some may hear this as an appeal for ecumenical movements and universal union. And to be clear, we must not neglect our Catholicity as the church universal, but never, ever at the expense of the local church. In fact, if we will not neglect but foster unity in the local church, the universal will take care of itself. And living out our faith in the local church develops fellowship. Or we could translate that as community. And community requires mutual concern for one another. It is mutual concern for one another is the antithesis of self-centeredness. Even those who desire to experience the goodness and pleasantness of unity in the church, even they can cause division, perhaps unknowingly, because because they just can't get over themselves. They're just hung up on themselves and they can't get over it. They can't let it go. One pastor insightfully asked, the last time you were in conflict with someone, were you more interested in promoting the joy of unity that God presents in Psalm 133 or in justifying yourself? The reality is that self-justification can sure make a church member bitter and abrasive but it can never develop and cultivate community. In contrast, as we read this morning, in contrast, Jesus prayed for all who believe these words. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You see, as it turns out, beholding dwelling in unity, beholding brothers and sisters dwelling in unity is good and it is pleasant. But experiencing it, well, that's heavenly. To describe how good and pleasant unity among brothers is, David, who authors this psalm, provides two similes. And I'm just going to tell you, the first simile he provides, I think, is the strangest one in the Psalms. (laughs) Let's look at it together. Dwelling as brothers in unity is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. I mean, nothing says unity like an oily bearded old man. Right? What? What does that have to do with unity? (laughs) Well, (laughs) the simile is actually not as strange as it seems once we understand the significance of the oil and upon whom the oil flows. According to the ceremonial law, olive oil was an important part of liturgical worship. In fact, a special blend was required for consecration, that is for anointing, made of liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, and cassia. Its ingredients and its use rendered it costly, indeed precious, but also it had a favorable fragrance to it. To mention the oil to a faithful Israelite, well, it would, it would conjure up in their memory a, a beautiful aroma as well as its consecrated use. But this oil was not for everything or everyone, but specifically for sacerdotal use. Notably, the use of anointing a Levitical priest, of whom Aaron was the first. On the day of his ordination, and I'm drawing from Exodus chapter 29 if you're taking notes, on the day of Aaron's ordination, it says that the anointing oil was poured upon his head. It was poured upon Aaron's head. And and you can imagine, if you think about olive oil, a fragrant anointing oil, as it's poured on his head, immediately the oil does what? It doesn't stay put like a little hat on his head. It runs. It begins to run down his face. And it runs into his beard. And it goes to his, his clothes. It drips upon his vestments, it says. And from his head to his shoulders, Aaron was covered in a saturating sweet fragrance of precious oil, setting him apart for his priestly vocation, consecrating him to serve the Lord. David couples then this image of the oil upon Aaron with a second simile 
and we need to keep the two together, that's important, not one of precious oil, but alpine dew. Not upon the head of Aaron, but upon the slopes of Hermon. At over 9,000 feet, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the region and is known for its lush landscape, the result of nourishing precipitation. Mountaintop mornings are greeted with a drenching dew that satisfyingly saturates the ground upon it rests, then flowing from the mountaintop down the mountainside, following the ravines and the rivers to, well, to the hills and dells below. Just as Aaron's head was saturated with anointing oil, And flowing down, so Mount Hermon's top was saturated with dew and flowing down. Same Hebrew word. Flowing, or as the ESV I think translates, it's running. Running down, flowing down. uh, Not as the ESV I think translates it in the latter verse of falling down. It actually is flowing, running down. And David says that this, this flowing oil, this Flowing dew, well, it's like unity. It's like unity among the brethren. The question for us is how? How is oil and dew like unity in the church? Now think about the common characteristics of both oil and dew. Just as unity is good and pleasant, so is precious oil. In fact, the Hebrew word that is translated in verse 1, good, is the exact same word that's translated precious before oil. Same word. Like good oil, unity is precious and pleasant, just like dew on the mountain. And both oil and dew are symbolic of God's blessed provision, running down, onward to other parts and to other places. The oil that anointed that first Levitical priest did not rest upon his head, but it flowed down, just as his consecrated service was not merely for himself, but also for his brothers and sisters too. And the dew that falls upon Mount Hermon does not rest upon its peak, but it flows downward, just as the Lord's blessings flow to us and then through us and then from us to others. These provide beautiful images of God's provision. But greater than precious oil and alpine dew is God's blessed provision for us in Christ. For our sake, he made him to, he who, him, start over, rewind. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have peace with God by the blood of Christ's cross, and we are at peace with one another by the same blood through faith. We are then, you see, united In one body. Not because you willed it. Or because you wanted it. But because Christ atoned for it. That's a big deal.
difference. And we are indwelled by the Spirit of Christ who unites us in Himself and in Himself alone. We could put it this way. Positionally, we are already one. Experientially, we must maintain what the Apostle Paul calls the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so, how do we foster this? How do we encourage this? How do we maintain, to use Paul's word, this Spirit-empowered unity? Well, for starters, we go to the assembly, that is, to church. We go to church, not away from it. I know that seems overly simplistic, but that's a start. We don't go away from the church, but we go to the church. Absence from the assembly makes for a weak and incredibly malnourished Christian. Second, we read and study God's Word together. And we are faithful Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to be under the preaching of the Word, as our larger catechism puts it. We assemble for the sacraments of the Lord's Supper. But also we're faithful to assemble for baptism. In the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate today, we will enjoy communion with God, but also with one another. It's not a private meal. It's for the family. And we pray with each other and for each other. In an age of individualism, and for probably, I would say, my whole lifetime, a heavy emphasis has been put upon private prayer and public prayer has been neglected. And yet, our forefathers in the Reformed faith said, prayer lessons start on Sunday morning. They start in the public prayer. As the minister and the other elders, as we pray together and as we pray for one another, so we as a church accompany and carry those prayers on into the week. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is remarkably difficult to be at odds with someone that you pray with weekly and pray for daily. And it doesn't stop here, but it continues. In fact, the psalmist says it continues forever. Where Mount Hermon is located... And where it's located is on the far northern region of the border of Israel. Uh, to be clear, geographically, it's not anywhere close to Zion. Uh, to say that the dew falls from Mount Hermon upon Zion, uh, well, the only way that would happen is if the clouds transfer that dew over. But David here is not making a geographical or a geological statement. He is making a theological statement. He is connecting the imagery of God's blessed provision to His blessed presence in Zion. Just as God blesses us like oil upon Aaron's head, just as God blesses us just like dew on the mountain, so God blesses us from His presence in Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. From Zion flows not only blessings, but the greatest of blessings, that is, eternal life. In the New Testament, Zion is identified not as a place, but as a people. Not a temporal temple, 
but the temple in which the living Spirit of God dwells, the church of Jesus Christ. And as His church, you and I, we hear this first verse of this psalm. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, but we long for the day, as John writes in Revelation, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. A verse that I might note is plural. They and them, not you and me. On that day, this good, this pleasant unity with the saints we know shall be above with the saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. Until that day, let us by God's grace, through His Spirit, foster that which leads to dwelling in unity. In the book of Acts, we read of what we read in chapter 2 of Christian community, in which, and I quote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You could say that they were a church of theological depth, of intimate relationships, of joyous worship, of relentless evangelism, of sacrificial service, which incidentally is our church's stated purpose statement, which is based on that passage in Scripture. And all of which involves not isolation and not the solitary, but unity. Dwelling in unity together to the glory of God. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, oh, how we thank you for your word. And as you direct us to the precious oil, as you direct us to the dew on the mountain, so we thank you for your provision to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let us be mindful that the unity that we enjoy and that we are to maintain rests squarely on your finished work on the cross. Let us be mindful and let us look to your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.